I'm Lisa Dumas, therapeutic yoga educator. And I'm Amy Pruitt, a registered nurse, a yoga teacher, and I own a yoga studio. And this is the Radiant Warrior Podcast, where we offer skills, inspirations, stories, and guests to help us live a life of purpose, contentment, and self-worth. Our intention is to share how our practices support us in our contemporary lives and help us to reclaim our courageous hearts. You know, Amy, people may or may not realize that when you put yourself out there and you record a podcast and have an online business, that you are approached by companies to um, talk about their products on your social media feeds or in your podcasts. And that's not something that we've been attracted to before. However, a company recently contacted us and The reason that we resonated with it is because in those years where I was really suffering with disordered anxiety, I knew that I needed to get help and I had no idea how to find a therapist. And so there's a company now called BetterHelp, and this is an online counseling membership program where you can get help facing life's challenges from a licensed therapist in a convenient, discreet, and affordable way. So BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, and you just are doing it through your computer, your tablet, or your smartphone, and we're really used to communicating in that way now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when you sign up, you'll answer some questions about the kind of help you need, and you'll be matched with an available counselor who fits your objectives, your preferences, and the type of issues you're dealing with. They have different counselors who have different approaches and areas of focus, So it's important to find the right person who can achieve the best results for you. If you start the process and you feel your counselor isn't a good fit for you, you can be matched to somebody new. And what I liked reading about is that counselors on BetterHelp are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited, and they all have a master's or doctorate in their field, and they all have at least three years and a thousand hours of hands-on experiences. The cost is a low monthly fee, and I like this too, you can cancel when you feel like you've gotten the support you need. And uh, the best news is our listeners are offered 10% off of their first month if you go to this link, betterhelp.com forward slash radiant warrior. It'll be in the show notes, but once again, that's betterhelp.com slash radiant warrior. It's been a long time since we've been able to teach something live together, and we had the opportunity to do that last weekend. It was wonderful. Yes, it was. You and I don't get the opportunity to be in the same space, and even though we weren't in the same space, it was so nice to teach with you live. Anytime that we've taught together, I've either had to travel to Columbus or you've come here to British Columbia, but because of this new Zoom yoga room, we were able to offer our community a therapeutic yoga and Ayurvedic experience to acknowledge the arrival of summer solstice. And it's actually very interesting from the perspective of Ayurveda and therapeutic yoga. There are some things to consider when we transition into a new season, and especially right at the solstice. And When I was researching what we were going to be offering, what was really beautiful for me to think about was it's a time to be able to really offer gratitude for the sun. You know, I think that we know the power of an appreciation practice and being grateful for everything that the sun gives us and the earth gives us, but to be able to to spend an entire practice offering gratitude was was 
a nice opportunity and something that is supposed to be quite healing for us at this time of year. And also what my research was showing up is that in different cultures around the world, in our history, there have been a lot of festivals that are um, marking the arrival of summer. And those festivals have a lot of fire in them. And because the element of fire symbolizes the life-giving nature of the sun, and then that brought to mind the element of fire and how Ayurveda relates the element of fire to one of the doshas called Pitta, and summer is actually Pitta season. So uh, there's a lot to discuss here to let people know about how this dosha can affect our bodies, our minds, our, our emotions, the way we relate with each other, what we might deal with when it comes to um, inflammation and physical disorders and the way we might think. So do you want to share um, with our listeners a little bit about Pitta and what it is? So in Ayurveda, Ayurveda classifies us primarily through three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. And you have probably heard us talk quite a bit about vata on this podcast. Vata is considered the king of doshas, that it um, kind of pushes the other doshas around. But this is pitta season. So summer becomes pitta season. Pitta is the dosha in Ayurveda that's made up of fire and water. And it is the dosha that controls our metabolism in our body, um, how we digest our food, how we digest thoughts in the mind, how we have discernment. It governs the emotion of anger. And it can be put out of balance by too much heat. So if you have a strong pitta dosha, everyone has all three doshas in us. But if you primarily have a dominant dosha of pitta, summer may, you might have some extra challenges during the summer as it gets hotter outside, you might find yourself hotter on the inside. Your emotions might be shorter. You might tend towards anger or becoming critical or sharp. You might feel the heat much more than somebody else. You might not like the heat or feel like you get overheated easily. You might have problems sleeping when it's hot. Um, someone with a pitta dosha typically does not have problems sleeping, but if they get hot, that's going to what be what wakes them up and cause them to not be able to get back to sleep. They can become hangry if they don't eat when they are expecting to eat. So having regular meals for pitta is very beneficial. And this is the time of year where pittas can tend more towards burnout because of the heat. They they are the doers and the leaders and the entrepreneurs and the bosses. And that heat might be stoking their fire even more to get stuff done. And the real work for Pitta during this time of year is to be mindful and slow down and show some gratitude towards everything that they have in their life to help counterbalance that burnout. Um, they might see the longer days as an opportunity to get more work done. And, and that's where their work really comes in, you know, that they need to schedule periods of rest and 
vacation and go to the beach and sit in the ocean and go to a lake and and find all the ways that they can cool off but but they can really struggle with this time of year because it's stoking their fire even more and then they can tip into pitta imbalance. Yeah, I think the dosha model is so helpful and beautiful because it's definitely symbolic, right? We're talking about having these different elements in our body, but when you learn about each dosha, how it affects us on different levels, it does match up with Western science in many different ways. And then I also love it because it offers a very holistic way of harmonizing each of the doshas. So I really, I really love that. And we might know that we are a pitta personality, as you say, if we are somebody who will work really hard, wants to get all of the things done. And another way that we know we're pitta is, let's say we love to exercise and we'll push ourselves, even if we're really hot and sweating we'll still push ourselves because we want to hit that goal of 100 push-ups or whatever, even if we're completely shaking and our alignment is off and we're dripping with sweat, we'll just keep going. It's that no pain, no gain philosophy. And I thought that was really interesting because I definitely have that part of myself in my history where I was a runner and I would run until I told myself I was done. So I would run for the clock because I was going to go and run for an hour rather than listening to my body. And for a lot of people who are Pitta, there's a desensitization that's going on that we may not even realize when we're overheating. And so now that we are experiencing for many of us hotter days and we're outside for longer when we get overheated, we may not realize it. And so sometimes to say to a pitta person, okay, you need to slow down. I know for me, that was confusing because I don't necessarily want to slow down and pittas won't want to slow down. But another way of looking at this is instead of, okay, physically stopping what you're doing, yes, we all need to take some more time to rest, but it's the quality of mindfulness that you mentioned almost slowing down the mind because Pitta, when it moves into our mind, our thoughts become hard driving and obsessive. I think most of us can relate with this obsessive thought. So we get really stuck in our stories, stuck in the way that we see the world and we see ourselves. We get really stuck in the way things should be, how we should be acting, how that person should be acting. Um, how our work lives should be, what we should be eating. And when we get stuck in those obsessive thinking, you know, that can really lead into anxiousness that can also lead into addictive tendencies, which we're going to talk about on this episode, because, you know, summer comes with its own challenges, but not to mention where we find ourselves in the world in this time of COVID and in this time of racial inequality and so many people waking up. But we'll get back to that. But for people whose minds are on that sort of one track, the work of mindfulness, so the work of being able to sort of sit behind our thoughts and witness them rather than identify with them. Nobody's saying that's easy, but that's really the heart of all of these practices is 
even to discern what doshas are within us, it takes a certain level of mindfulness to notice, okay, where am I feeling heat in my body? Where am I feeling coolness in my body? Um, How does this bite of food affect me, not just in my body, but in my energy levels and in my mind? How does this color affect me? How does this season affect me? And rather than being judgmental and telling ourselves stories about that, just being able to be curious about that. And that is a big reason why I love the dosha model because it invites us to be compassionate. It invites us to be curious and um, notice what is working for us and what is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've said it, I said it in our class this weekend, and I say it often that once we identify the doshas in our bodies and in our minds, we tend to, I, we hang on or grasp on to one and that can be misleading as well because we, we use our behavior. We use our dosha as an excuse for our behavior or for our thoughts. And instead of looking at what is actually going on for myself, I had always identified as very strongly kappa because of the makeup of my body. And I have a, a kappa body. I have kappa hair. I, you know, like um, I felt like my heart was really kappa and I didn't strongly identify with pitta. And my Ayurvedic practitioner says, you are strongly pitta. And I was like, oh, come on. I am not. I'm kappa. You know, that's what I am. And I'm a, I'm a caregiver. I'm a nurse. I'm, you know, I, I have really thick hair. I tend towards weight gain. I, my predominant emotion is, you know, love or sadness. And, and she said, look at your mind. And I was struggling with burnout. Like my whole reason for going to see her was because I was burnout. And I had to look at my actions because I was, it was like this whole part of me that I wasn't even recognizing about being this overachiever. And, and I would relentlessly pursue certifications and degrees and positions at work and be on the next committee and want to put another accomplishment check next to my name. Totally blind to the fact that these were all very Pitta actions because I could, I wasn't a Pitta, no way. And, and it took somebody really holding up the mirror to say, you are burnt out. You are so burnt out. And look at you are caught. You are the cause of this. You are driving yourself into burnout because you are not being mindful of your energy. You're not being mindful of your lifestyle. You're not being mindful of what is enough. Like, when is it going to be enough? Like, when was I going to be satisfied? Never. And, um, so it, it's sometimes we need some help too identifying what is going on with us, with the doshas. I think you're really speaking to the importance of opening up to other perspectives and that piggybacks on the topic that we talked about last week, which is the ability to hold more than one thought in our mind. And that is challenging for human beings because we only have our specific lens and that's the beauty of learning. And that's the the beauty of holding space for other ideas. And just like we're noticing in our outer world right now, you know, something that we taught at our solstice 
class is this is a nice time to notice our interconnectedness, not just with nature, but with each other. And while the media shows us all the ways that we are divided right now, we can also hold the other true thought that we have a great deal of interconnectedness and that is being shown to us through social media and the sharing of all of these new ideas and the sharing of information that is waking us up to our our racial biases. Like you're speaking on a micro level of an experience that you had of somebody else illuminating something about you for yourself that then helps you to expand your perspective. And I feel like that's happening on this macro level and it's challenging for people. And, you know, not just the the pit of mind that has the story and it's hard to see things in another way. It is hard for everybody to change and see things in a new way. And we're seeing that as well. And I'm hopeful with the changes that are happening that we can see that that's what we have in common as well. You know, our our attachment to the way things are and our inability to change, it's actually something that we have in common. Mhm. Mhm. I I totally agree. I totally agree. And when it comes to the season of summer and the dosha of pitta, however, that might be even a little harder to change. You know, our attachment to thinking in a certain way and that can lead to a, a lot of suffering and that's the heart of all of these practices. It's basically like we all suffer as human beings because we all have minds and we all have our stories and we suffer because of them. And it's so challenging for us to be in present-centered thinking, to be just right here, right now. And that is really the ultimate practice, no matter what dosha you are. So Right now, around the world, we see an imbalance of vata, which is related to the element of air and ether, and it's very destabilizing. It's about things changing. It's about turbulence. It's about chaos. And so I think on this universal level, there is an imbalance and a turbulence and so much change going on. And then the rest of our doshas the rest of our constitutions, whether we talk about it from a Western perspective or an Ayurvedic perspective, the rest of our constitutions are going to be unbalanced because of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if our tendencies are being heightened right now. Um, And mindfulness is really the answer. Uh, Practices that allow us to be present so that when we read that post on social media and we have an experience of an emotion, Are we able to take a moment and watch that emotion and let that guide us into information about why we're being triggered rather than sort of immediately responding? I mean, Mm -hmm. isn't that the, oh, the, the lesson um, that we all learn is, you know, kind of responding immediately out of an emotion without, without being present and being a little bit more mindful that that can be a challenge for us being mindful of what else is coming up. You know, it's very difficult right now where we are in this world to sit with our minds because there is a lot to suffer about. There is. Mm -hmm. And for many people that struggle with any form of addiction, whether that be a lot of social media, a lot of food, alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, this is really a way to take ourselves out of the discomfort of our minds And even though it may seem so simple, the practice of mindfulness can be 
incredibly helpful there. Uh, I know for myself and for a lot of clients that are coming to me that have struggled in the past with maybe food and alcohol, this time of isolation and this time of unrest and upheaval and confusion, it is just heightening all of those tendencies and the need to resist the discomfort that we feel within. It's just a reminder that these practices that we're learning in these systems can be helpful because we feel this discomfort in our body, you know, a craving, a craving to get out of suffering. And then we'll reach for something outside of ourselves when really the reminder is we have what we need if we can allow ourselves to sit in discomfort. And then we should talk about that a lot of what we're reaching for in the summer months, because we've been taught that that's what summer is all about, can even imbalance us further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I what you said about the emotion, like there's a lot to be outraged right now in the world. There's a, there's a lot to be that that we should feel outraged about or that we are feeling outraged about. But like you said, bringing in that mindfulness to also be mindful of periods of rest that we cannot carry on the work of, of working on whatever is causing us to be outraged. If we 24 seven live in outrage, like we have to also find periods of rest so that we can continue to do what needs to be done. That's really interesting because I know for me and a lot of other people that I talk about that have in the past or do right now struggle with um, over drinking or the overconsumption of food, it's only when they have that first sip that they actually feel like there's been some sort of shift that allows rest, that it doesn't feel like a busy mind can shut down until Um, that first drink. And it's such an experience of calm that it then allows them to rest. And I hear that story time and time again. And I offered a practice once to a client, you know, based on some work that I did with myself, we're talking about the doshas, we're talking about Pitta and how it's kind of related to the element of fire and that hard driving personality and other systems and in Western psychology, you might even relate that to um, the masculine. And we're not talking about gender here at all. We're talking again in symbolic terms in order for us to understand our psyche. But everybody has quote unquote energy that has that masculine touch to it. And you can think about that as um, the achiever, as you say, the leader, the doer, um, working structure, responsibility. And then if you think about the feminine, again, not from a gendered place, you think about more receptivity and rest and love and softness and ease. And the practice of yoga is all about the perfect marriage and harmony of these two qualities. Like on our yoga mat or in our movements, we don't want to be too rigid and have it be all about power and force we want to have power and strength, but then within that structure, we want to be able to be fluid and be relaxed. Like the ultimate yoga practice is called relaxation and action. And then we know that yogis, what we're practicing on the mat, we're really practicing for the yoga of our life. And how can we find relaxation and action out in the world? And that battle between the masculine and feminine 
in our psyches, I think is also a big contributor to a lot of women that I have spoken to who feel like they have to do it all. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is also a Pitta element in these specific women um, that I've worked with and, and that I've spoken to and then I can speak to myself as well. And it feels like you know, the wine or whatever it is, this, the substance, as soon as it comes in, it softens that quality and it allows more of the fluid flow of the feminine, something that our culture is missing completely, honestly. I mean, if you speak to the teacher that we had on our, our show, Mary Campbell, that's really one of her big concerns when she looks at our culture and the patriarchy, how she doesn't see a lot of, of femininity and the healing power of that. What are, what are your thoughts? We've never talked about that before. What are your thoughts about how alcohol can kind of have the masculine or even let's say the Pitta stand down for a moment and you're able to take a breath and finally feel like you can relax? Well, I think I can only speak for, you know, myself and like my relationship with alcohol. You know, I was in that state of a very masculine way of living as far as doing and achieving and working and, and not allowing the more feminine aspects of myself to rise. Um, And so it, it wasn't a natural way for me to be in the world. And I was suffering from that burnout and frustration. And so what I was seeking when I was living this unnatural way was relief. You know, mm-hmm. I needed, I wanted relief and I was uncomfortable. And when we look for those things to ease our discomfort, whether it's reaching for a drink or reaching for sugar or numbing out in some way, that's what I was seeking. I was seeking relief and pittas don't innately give themselves permission to rest. And so for me, having that pitta mind, I wasn't giving myself any permission to rest, any permission to slow down. And so then I turned to alcohol to create that bridge to rest, what I thought was rest, what I thought was relief, when really it didn't allow me to rest. Um, but it, like you said, it gave you that moment of like taking an exhale, like, oh, okay. Um, but then it came with its a whole host of other things. And if Pittas could tap into that mindfulness instead, that permission to turn it off for a minute to, if they're sitting in discomfort, a, an uncomfortable feeling I don't think has ever killed somebody, but we think it will. And we want to run from that discomfort and we want to squash that discomfort. And so then we look for other things to flip that switch for us. And what worked for me was realizing that what my coping mechanisms were, weren't working anymore, or they weren't beneficial to me. And what I was truly seeking was relief of discomfort and rest that I had to sit in the discomfort and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I didn't die from it. And 
then I could navigate to the other side and then I could find rest. So removing that, what I thought was the bridge to rest, alcohol, sugar, distraction, and then actually facing discomfort, facing what wasn't working, overworking, overdoing, achieving, burned myself out, looking at that instead, instead of, you know, I thought I was just going to continue on that way of life. I'm going to keep doing, keep working, keep achieving, keep doing the things, but I just need something else to help me keep doing those things when actually I needed to really examine what was working and what wasn't so that I didn't need the addictions to cope with the things that weren't working in my life. Does that make sense? Yes. And, you know, part of what you said, we sure don't want to rain on a summer parade here. However, (laughs) um, during this time of year, when a lot of our celebrations are centered around sugar and alcohol, it is the consumption of alcohol and sugar that is actually really aggravating to Pitta. And I only say that just, you know, take it as a form of education because educating myself about my own constitution and what worked for me when it came to what I was consuming and not was and continues to be kind of a part of my healing and recognizing that even though I want something and I like something and um, doesn't mean that it's good for me or that I even have to have it. So, you know, this is not intended to, to be a lecture at all, but only just informative. And that was something that I didn't know until I learned more about the Pitta Dosha and how any, if we have that in our, we all have that in our constitution, but as we say, if we are even a little bit predominant in that, this is the season where it might become even more out of balance. And if we are adding fuel to the fire, so to speak, then we might notice some of the conditions that can arise from Pitta, Pitta's flame roaring a little bit high. And that can be that that obsessive thinking gets a little bit more and it's a little bit harder to open up to broader perspectives. That can be inflammatory conditions um, like IBS and joint inflammation and skin rashes. I mean, again, it's all very symbolic, right? So think about heat and, and redness and heat in the body. And these are conditions that we can experience, but also it can fuel us towards more addiction. You know, from a therapeutic yoga perspective, our teacher teaches us to help our clients with addiction through pitta balancing mm-hmm. because it is an obsessive quality, just like the obsessive nature in our mind, what we're reaching for over and over again, and not being able to see clearly that the benefits may not outweigh the risks of the behavior that we're choosing, you know, that's obsessive in itself. As you say, cooling down the fire, not necessarily with just stopping and putting cold things in your body, not at all, mm-hmm. but but cool. think about cooling down that hot, angry mind with the energy of love and the energy of gratitude. And that comes back to this time of year and how nature is just naturally going through its transitions. And we're not used to looking outside and noticing that what we see outside is affecting us within. And now might be the time, you know, to, to take some time to 
notice the beauty of your surroundings. It's actually very healing for a pitta mind. And pittas do not do enjoy beauty. And when they look up from their work and their thoughts and their to-do list and take some time to do that, that in itself can be really balancing. Have you found that for yourself? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It can take a long time to get a pitta to look up from their work. And there can be resistance because they love a plan and they like to complete a plan and they don't like to deviate from the plan. They do not do well with detours. And so there can be resistance from, from Pitta to stop what they're doing and look up from their work, like you say, and enjoy their surroundings because they are afraid of losing that momentum. They have a real struggle of giving themselves permission to, to not do something, to not complete something, to not take control of something. And so that is the struggle of Pitta. You, you were really open in one of our earlier episodes. It's called The One About Alcohol. And you shared with our listeners that you have cut out alcohol completely. Mm-hmm. Would you be comfortable sharing a little bit more about the path you took and the journey that you took for your recovery? Because aren't you over three years? Where, where are mm-hmm. you in your sobriety? Almost four years, three and a half. Yeah. October. Um, yeah. So for me, it, it required complete abstinence. I wasn't, um, I wasn't somebody who had success cutting out alcohol by saying, Oh, I'm going to moderate or, Oh, I'm going to only drink on the weekends or, Oh, you know, because I was in such deep burnout that I was constantly re re looking for relief. And, and so for me, it took complete abstinence to cut the ties with alcohol. And, and for me, that works in other things too. If I'm going to cut sugar out of my life, it's going to have to be, I'm going to have to cut it completely out because I'm not going to navigate well in trying to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to cut back because I'm not, I, I know myself and I'm just, I don't do well with that. So for me, it was a hundred percent. I just had to say no. And and if somebody is questioning their relationship, say with alcohol, doing something like a, a 30-day challenge could be a real eye-opener for you. If, if you've tried to cut back or you're questioning your relationship with alcohol or it's just not serving you in a positive way, then maybe cut it out completely. And that can give you a lot of information about how alcohol plays in your life, whether it's serving you in a positive way or whether it's something that you could really do without, you know, try it for, try a complete abstinence for a set amount of time. There's plenty of um, things we do in our culture, like um, dry January or sober October or um, things like that. And And culturally, that can be a struggle because a lot of our activities revolve around alcohol. And and I know for myself, I got a ton of questions from people around me. Why aren't you drinking? Why do you have a drink? Here's a drink. Can I get you something to drink? And when you say, no, I'm good or no, I'm not drinking right now or no, I'm not drinking or no, I don't drink. There's there can be a lot of questions just because as a culture, we tend to drink a lot. And that can be a struggle, especially for 
Pitta people because they are success driven. And so it can be viewed as a negative that you're not drinking or a failure that you can't drink appropriately or So for me, it was abstinence that was the real key. And then surrounding myself with whatever I needed. So I was really compassionate during that time about not trying to quit everything. I wasn't going to quit alcohol and sugar and fatty foods. And I wasn't going to try to suddenly learn how to run a 5K and um, make my bed every morning. I was just going to work on this one thing. And make that sustainable. Because if I had tried to do all the things, then I would have probably burned out on all the things and not have been as successful with removing alcohol. So if I can offer anything, it's just to just to focus on one thing. But focus on that one thing with laser sharp focus, like Pittas can. Pittas can really hone in on on wanting this one thing to be successful. So if it's something that you want to remove from your life, whether it's alcohol or sugar, this might be the time that really you find success because during the pitta season, there can be a lot of focus and a lot of discernment. That could be the thing because of the heating qualities of alcohol that it could exacerbate the negative effects of alcohol or how it affects you. This could be a really great time to try it. That's such a key point that you made. The qualities that Pitta have of being very focused and intense and able to complete tasks can be thrown in to tasks that are skillful for us. So my teacher has said, and I've heard this in other places, and I really believe it, we're all addicted. We're all addicted to something. And being able to throw those qualities into getting very interested in pursuits that are helpful for us is something that we can do. But I'm curious because, you know, we're talking about the pit of mind and how that contributes to obsessive thinking. And then obsession can also equate addictive behaviors. What led you to that full and total abstinence? Because you're talking about the choice that you make, but was it first a practice of mindfulness, like really noticing that the risks were outweighing the benefits for you that the negatives were outweighing the positives? And then was there a re-education of, of the mind? Um, what happened for you in order to make that decision? And what perspectives arose for you? So that period of my life was kind of the height of my burnout and my sadness. I had, I had kind of a culmination of many years of things that had occurred in my life. And and continued to like plug along, like not, not honoring a time to grieve, not honoring a time to rest, not, not overachieving. And I just hit a brick wall. Like I just like could not go on anymore living my life the way I was living it there. I was finding very little joy in my life. I was really looking at my life through a black and white lens. Like it was just very gray. I was trying to numb and squash this sadness and this feeling of not having achieved, even though I had run myself into the ground. And so I was using alcohol more and more to try to numb those feelings, which then in turn numbed all the feelings. So I wasn't finding joy and happiness and gratitude either. And I knew that I couldn't go on that way, that life was too short 
and that I wanted to find joy again. And even if it meant facing my sadness so that I could feel joy. So that was the beginning. And when I was practicing yoga, I was beginning to have these episodes during Shavasana or after class where during Shavasana, I could cry and, and I could cry like unexpectedly, like not be sobbing on my mat, but I I felt these emotions come up or I felt these little parts of me break open that I had really been trying to squash down because I, I, like I said earlier in this podcast, I was so uncomfortable with feeling that I thought if I felt these feelings, I would die and literally die. And And so I was constantly squashing them down, trying to numb them because I knew that if I faced these feelings, my heart would literally stop. And so yoga was, was breaking me open. Um, really that wasn't what I asked for when I went to yoga, you know, when I went to yoga, I wanted to get physically fit and it was having this effect on me, on my heart and on my mind and on my emotions that. I didn't necessarily invite and was resistant to, but kept going because I found it so interesting that this physical practice that I was going to, to, you know, work on my physical health was having this effect on my mental and spiritual and emotional health. So I kept going, thank goodness, and was having these little parts, these little boxes open up inside of me and these little feelings would bubble to the surface and they would, I would move through them. Um, I wouldn't run away from them and then they'd move on. I was like, wow, maybe there's something to, maybe there's something to this feeling your feelings. I don't know. Like maybe I can feel my feelings and not die literally. And I knew alcohol was getting in the way of that. I started to get a glimpse on what healing might feel and look like. And I knew that alcohol was standing in the way. And if I was going to have the rest of my life be authentic and and live an examined life because I didn't want to come to the end of my life and still have it be that black and white movie that I didn't feel anything through, then I felt like that would be more heartbreaking than the heartbreak that I wasn't willing to feel and move on from. Yeah. You know, this this podcast is about how the practices through the systems of yoga and Ayurveda have contributed to our healing and, and how we've committed our life now to sharing that with others. And so thank you so much for sharing that story. And it just reminds me of how grateful I know we both are of the tradition of yoga, how much we honor it and how important the systems are because what it offers us, whether we realize it or not, is a heightened sensitivity. You are called to be so sensitive on the yoga mat to notice what your body is doing and what your breath is doing in a way that we have never been asked to before in our culture. And then that continues to grow or it can continue to grow um, to be able to notice the inner workings of our bodies and our minds in new ways. And then you can't help but notice how this food might affect you, how this drink might affect you, how being in the room with that person might affect you. You can fight it for a while, but if you continue down this path, you will not be able to ignore it for long because 
whatever that substance is or that person or that activity or maybe even that that television show or that book, it will affect you in such a negative way that it will um, cause you to get sick and you, you will be asked to pay attention. And I love your story of paying attention. And, um, you know, I think that you're a model for a lot of people listening because I think a lot of us have been paying attention, but it's also scary to listen to that voice because so much of our identity is around the way that we've been living. And so much of our culture is also associated with working hard and playing hard. And the summertime is a time to play hard. And so I feel like the overarching theme of this conversation is just the call to notice. And just, just to really notice how does that truly taste you know, during the first sip and in the lingering aftertaste and what's happening in your body and how is it affecting your mind and your mood and how are you treating yourself and your mind and how are you treating others? How is it af- affecting your sleep, your joy? We're not going to feel good all of the time. And due to what's going on in the world right now, we're not going to feel good all of the time. And can we accept that? Are we able to accept that sometimes we're going to feel pain and intense discomfort and grief and worry? And like you said, we haven't heard of anybody dying from a bad feeling, but it's almost radical not to run out of that bad feeling because we are shown hundreds of different ways to change that feeling, to shop it away, to distract it away to drink it away, to eat it away, to love it away, right? We're shown a million different ways to run from it and very few ways to sit in it. And all we can share is from our perspective and what we've seen in ourselves and in the yoga room, but being able to be with the craving to get out of suffering, sitting with it eventually does allow it to move. And it's almost like we're then adding that element of water um, and earth to the element of fire is we're allowing ourselves to get present, which is grounding. And we're allowing what we're stuck in to flow. We never really know how these conversations are going to go, but You know, that's why I love having these conversations with you. That's why I love teaching with you. And we'd be remiss, um, you know, not to mention to our listeners that everything that we're talking about, the, the qualities within us and outside of us right now, and how we can, um, manage our bodies and our minds, um, not as another should, but just as a way of, being able to hold greater space for ourselves and all the upheaval and and the transformation that is happening and that we are called to answer right now. Um, We're going to be teaching about that live actually weekly. And this episode will come out on Thursday. And so this coming Sunday, Amy and I are going to be starting a seven week program called a radiant summer. I am thrilled to be able to do this with you seven weeks live every week. We'll be meeting with our students in the Zoom room 
and we'll be supporting each other through the high, long days of the summer season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can expect you know ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes of, of intention and breath and movement and meditation and philosophy. Amy, you're just so beautiful at offering so many lifestyle skills and food ideas from the system of Ayurveda. Um, So this is something that we've been thinking about and creating for a long time. It's, let's just be open. It's very mindfully and thoughtfully priced. So we would love to see you. You can um, just read the show notes to go right to the link, or you can go to aradiantyear.com and register to join us. And then we'll be practicing together 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, starting this Sunday. Mm, Yes, I'm looking forward to it very much. All right, Amy, I will talk to you soon. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.